for a quick jolt of comedy, get Tim Conway's new video, Dorf on Golf. As Dirk Dorf, athlete extraordinaire, Conway shows his form. Junk Food Dinner 602. We've got another round of shorts this week. First, a dollhouse time loop in the award-winning tango. Next, Tim Conway hits the green in Dorf on Golf. Finally, an alien exchange student plays it safe in Get Street Smart. TV offer, you get Tim's comedy book free. So get Dorf now. Welcome to Junk Food Dinner, episode 602. This is the podcast where each week we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-hosts Parker Bowman in the 559 and Sean Byron in L.A. This week, we take the easy way out with three very different short films. Uh, First, we're going to be taking a look at Tango from 1980, Dwarf on Golf from 1987, and Get Street Smart, colon, A Kid's Guide, to Stranger Danger from 1995. But first, gentlemen, how are you doing this week? How are you enjoying January? It's Because January, let's be real, can we all agree, worst month of the year in many ways? Yeah. Um, in many ways. I think no- November is the worst month, I feel, because it's, it's cold as hell, and it's the farthest away from Halloween. That's it's almost... It's almost like you've never heard of the ECW pay-per-view event November to remember, though. I mean, that's that's what I'm looking forward to every year. Yeah, that, well, yeah. I mean, any month that you can tie into an ECW event is a pretty good month, I guess. Which I, I think by the end, they were running a some kind of a, like event show every week, it felt like. So uh, there's probably plenty of opportunity there. But yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, January sucks, if you right. ask me. The only, the only thing that... Exactly. November does suck, but at least it's got Thanksgiving. Get a couple days off work. You get to eat a meal. Once Christmas is over, you know, the holidays that you get off work are few and far between. At least in my part of the world, it's snowing. It's gray. It's just wet. And you know, it just sucks. There's nothing to look forward to. You didn't get MLK off? No, come on. What are you working for a racist ass corporation? What's going on, Kevin Moss? <laughs> Gotta get that MLK know. off. Yeah, I didn't realize you moved to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I, listen, I don't know what to tell you. I don't work for the government. I don't get President's Day off either. Move to California. We're, we were partying in the streets on Monday. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to get in on that holiday action. But nevertheless, I don't, you know, maybe I can make it a tradition to make a big meal on Martin Luther King Day. Maybe that'll spruce up my January. Much like uh, Thanksgiving. I think you should. I think you should do the historical research. Let's figure out what his favorite meal was. You know, let's do it right, you know? Okay. Fair enough. Call Al Sharpton. He probably knows, right? <laughs> uh, but other just uh, than surviving January, how, how have your weeks been? Pretty good. Pretty good. I've been taking in a lot of things this week. There's been a lot going on. Taking oh, yeah? in? 
I've been taking in. Yeah, I've been watching that. Uh, there's been a few things to watch. I've been watching that Peacemaker show. It's been delightful. This That's James Gunn. John Cena. John Cena and James Gunn and uh, some other folks. Steve Agee. Uh, hit podcaster Steve Agee. He's he's there. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, just like it's James Gunn, like distilled into a, a fine diamond. It's everything James Gunny that I love and on a TV show. It's great. I got to be honest with you, Bowman. I feel like I already watched that show because I stuck around through the credits of Suicide Squad uh, and at least on HBO when you do that. They give you what seemed like a 45 minute long trailer for this show. Like it just kept going on and on. And I was like, I'm just trying to peace out. I thought the movie was over, guys. I really got to pee. Kept I going. didn't realize that they did that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's there after the like after the credits. There's like a little scene of something that connects to the movie. I think the weasel guy or whatever came back for a second. And then they give you like this long ass trailer for Peacemaker. Okay. Did it did it stroke your interest, or were you just kind of done with it out since you didn't like Suicide Squad? I didn't love Suicide Squad, and my least favorite part of it was John Cena. So oh, I was wow. kind of like, no thanks to this Peacemaker. That is a why. That is the opposite of what everybody else thinks about that movie. That is what. Know. Yeah, I don't know. I never, never really liked him as a wrestler, and I, I'm a grandpa, and and I feel like he's kind <laughs> of the dividing line of like when I completely lost interest in wrestling. You know what I mean? Like he came in, he's got this spinning belt and all this shit, and I'm like, all right, this is for kids now, and I'm not a kid any, anymore. Yeah, I hated him as a wrestler. Like I hated him so much, but he's won me over with his acting stuff. I think everything he's in. As an actor, it's like pretty good. He seemed comfortable in the movie. So it seems like he's having fun. And I think you're right that people seem to like him. So I'm sure that he's going to have a a pretty good career now. Yeah. You know, you know, you know what he's not good in? What's that? that? I just recently watched an episode. Have you ever seen that show Wipeout? Oh, yeah. 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 The game show. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. a, it's like a, a obstacle course game show. It used to be hosted by, talk soups john henson um which was fun to see him back on tv but now it's hosted by john nicole byer right nicole byers and john cena and uh yeah he is awful like i mean it's not his fault i mean he's working with terrible material he has to make you know puns about big balls and getting hit in the dick and stuff and so he's got (laughs) very little to work with so i get it but yeah, I had to turn that. I mean, I like watching people getting hit in the dick and fall into water as much as the next guy, but the commentary was so bad I had to t- t- turn it on. It so now, bad. did oh, somebody die on that show? Am oh, I, am I that, misremembering this? Is that true? I thought I read a thing at the beginning of the pandemic, or it could have been that I was on a lot of drugs at the time, but I I remember reading a thing that was like, yo, Wipeout's canceled. Some dude, you know, took a bad fall, broke his neck, and died in the hospital. Um and then it came back like a year or two later. So it could be that I just invented that or. Uh, no, you're you know. right. Uh, a 38 year old man died of natural causes. It says whatever that how a 38 year old dies of natural causes during a taping of the TBS show Wipeout last fall. The L.A. County coroner's office has determined this guy lost consciousness after falling from the show's obstacle course on November 18th. He died a day later. So I don't want to say that's natural causes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I I remember reading that and then like, you know, it it came back and I did catch like a few minutes of it, like flipping through channels once. 
And it just seemed kind of morbid at that point to like laugh at guys falling. And I'm like, well, a dude just fucking died with doing that same exact fall. I don't know. That's that's the weird hang up that I've got lately. Even like when I watch skate videos and stuff, I'm like, like, yeah, that looks really fucking cool. That grind you did. But I know that you like probably broke your nuts a thousand times at the same time doing it. And is is any of this worth it just to entertain me? You know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah. you it definitely the same thing it. about professional wrestling after definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, when, when I watch things like, you know, the, the Mick Foley hell in the cell match now, it's not it's not fun and thrilling anymore. It's just kind of depressing where I'm like, man, these guys, it shouldn't be like this, that these guys feel the need to. I mean, and, and you know, it's one thing to, to be a tough guy and, and be like, I can, you know, get punched in the face and, and you know get back up that's one thing but these guys really putting their lives at risk i'm just like i'm kind of bummed out about it yeah well i feel like whatever it takes if these guys aren't putting their lives and their nuts on the line i might be bored for a couple of minutes and i can't have that <laughs> I, I know I, I relate to that too i mean i was that guy for most of my life and i'll, I'll probably be that guy again to be honest with you it, it may just be this pandemic is has made me soft in, in a lot of weird ways but <laughs> Well, the other show that I've been watching, besides Wipeout, where people, where guys do put their nuts on the line but not their lives, is uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, brand new season. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Now that's wholesome entertainment. Yeah, that's something we all can get behind. Yeah, yeah. I've never watched any of that, but I feel like if I were to watch like the first five seconds of an episode, I would have to like just binge them all. Like that's like exactly the kind of show I like. I just haven't watched that show yet. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, that's kind of my soft spot for reality TV is like these competition reality game shows where it's like, you know, where you get people that are actually talented at something like, you know, like face off or this or, you know, these things where people have an actual skill and they have to apply it in a competition each week. Like, I love those type of shows. Hey, man, I'll I'll admit to watching Project Runway quite a bit in its first few seasons, you know, with Tim Gunn making it work and all that. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? This is fun. Well, and I think that's what I like about RuPaul's Drag Race is, like, these uh, drag queens, like, they have, like, all the skills of, like, a Project Runway fashion designer. They also have to be able to act and be funny. They have to do, like, makeup. They have to uh, dance, sing. You know, it's like... You got to be super talented to be on that show, and it's it's fun to watch. So, anyway, I'll have to check it out. You guys uh, see any movies non JFD related? Well, I, I had a couple of um, very different, but in a in a weird way, you know, uh, similar in a ghoul sense uh, viewing experiences, which were uh, I watched a Japanese movie called In the Realm of the Senses from oh, I've heard of that, yeah, yeah, from the early seventies. Very dark, uh, very ghoulish. Like that, you know, I, I went into it kind of knowing it was going to be a ghoul movie, and uh, I was still not really well prepared for how disturbing it was. So, um, if that's of interest to you, a very disturbing movie from the seventies, you know, Japanese <laughs> in the realm of the senses, I would recommend for maximum maximum impact. Don't read anything about it. You know, go in blind like I did. Uh, it's on Criterion, which is it's shocking that it's on the Criterion channel, considering some of the stuff that's in it. Um, and then on the flip side, also ghoulish, my aunt sent me, my aunt Leanne sent me a videotape of uh, her wedding from the year 1990, of which I was a participant. You know, I was a little ring ring bearer boy. Um, and so I got to watch this wedding videotape that I hadn't seen, you know, since I was 
eight years old or whatever, um, you know, I, I digitized it for her and sent it back to her. But um, that was a fun experience going back and seeing these aunts and uncles from 1990 all, you know, dancing to um, the soundtrack from Ghost, you know, Unchained Melody. I think it got played <laughs> six times, but sure. uh, it was a fun time. Well, when you said ghoulish, I was afraid like she had left like footage of the honeymoon on there as well or something. <laughs> well, it's funny because actually you know, they did hire like this professional guy to shoot it. And I was kind of impressed. I'm watching this thing and like, at least for the church part, he's got it like five different angles on it. So he had a number of cameras and, you know, he's shooting different things and clearly like trying to make an interesting wedding video for this couple. And the final thing that it, it ends with is like the classic carrying the woman over the threshold of the door kind of a thing into their hotel room. You know, they had staged the camera in there. And I'm just like, does anybody want this? It's, it's kind of weird and suggestive at the end of this family video that it's like, all right, we're going to bone zone now. But good for you, Aunt Leanne. Yeah, that's what a wedding is. <laughs> Ticket to bone zone. Also weird was, and maybe people still still do this. I don't really go to a lot of weddings, but I feel like this was pretty normal back in the day, but I'm watching it now, and I was struck by how strange it is. Like the um, the ritual that they would do of my Aunt Leanne throws her garter belt, you know, to the crowd of men at one point, you know, who yeah. some of whom are her brothers. It's like, all right, cool. I'm going to catch my <laughs> sister's underwear. And one of them does. Uh, her brother, uh, Scott, my Uncle Scott, catches the garter belt. And then he has to put it on some other woman that caught like a bouquet of flowers or something at some other point. Or I forget what she caught. But it's just this weird ri ritual where it's like two strangers are putting underwear onto each other. And I'm like, what is this thing? Oh, well, that's nothing in my family. After that, those strangers are forced to bang. Va va voom? Yeah. No, it va -va -voom. is. Very, very strange rituals indeed. Yeah. I never. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like weddings. I don't know. I feel like they've they're not as big as they once were. I think people kind of realize like what a money hole they are. So I don't feel like we see like these giant productions like that like we did back in the eighties and nineties. At least not in the circles that I run with. But um yeah, it is crazy because you, you, I guess you still see those videos online of people fighting over the bouquet and falling on their ass and you know, trying to catch the garter. But yeah, very strange traditions. Traditions I don't plan on carrying. If I ever get married. Yeah, that's that's fair. You know, some of these traditions should die, but other ones like, you know, podcasting about three short films every month. I say let's keep those going forever. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it's a tradition we all can get behind. I say we combine the two and after every episode we throw a garter out to one of the listeners, you know. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I, I thought you were going to try and combine the two by watching my Aunt Leanne's wedding video and that's going to tell you no way, Jose. That's that's personal. Mark uh, that shit private on YouTube. Oh, I got it on the list for next uh, short films. You take week, that off the but... playlist, Bowman. I'm warning you. <laughs> All right, I'll have to replace it with something else. <laughs> All right, well, in the meantime, while we figure out what we're going to do with all these garters we bought, let's uh, check in with all the fine folks out there in Junk Food Dinnerland. In this week's segment of Junk Mail, we've got a... Uh, a nice handful of junk mails in the voicemail box this week. Uh, the first one comes to us from our old pal Randy in Maryland. Uh, I think he's also the former Canadian. Uh, who has this to say? Hey, boys. It's uh, Randy from Maryland. Uh, just 
finished uh, listening to your last Junk Food Desserts episodes uh, where you were talking about your favorite documentaries. Uh, a couple of you mentioned The Devil and Daniel Johnson from 2005. Um, another great documentary that came out that year uh, is uh, You're Gonna Miss Me. Uh, it's about the, the life of Rocky Erickson. So Rocky Erickson, the, the singer from the 13 Four Elevators, Many argue he's the father of psychedelic rock. Uh, really cool documentary. Uh, and I think it would make a good double feature with uh, the Daniel Johnston one. Um, and just uh, uh, the way I discovered this movie actually was back in 2006 uh, at the Pop Montreal Festival, which is a really cool art music festival. Um, one night I went to the small Portuguese church and in the basement, uh, the director was there, and he was screening the movie. So I got to watch the film, hear from the director. At the end of the movie, we all were, you know, escorted outside in cold uh, fall Montreal night. Uh, you know, had some cigarettes, waited. About 30 minutes later, we all came back into the church, and uh, Rocky Erickson was there with his band, and he performed like a 45-minute gig for us, which was amazing. If, if you like his music. Especially if you're into cult movies, like most of us are, watch, you know, listen to the show, uh, check out his music. But uh, it was a great gig. At the end, I got to meet him, talk to him, got some vinyl signed, which was cool. Um, oh. So yeah, it was a good experience, and I highly recommend checking out that movie. Um, and that's it for me. Uh, keep it sleazy, boys. Uh, take care. Oh, thank you, Randy, for the call and the recommendation. Yes, I will also... Uh, I'll, I'll co-sign, as the kids say, on your endorsement for both the You're Gonna Miss Me documentary and Rocky Erickson's music in general. I have seen the documentary. I did see it uh, shortly after it came out. I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters, but I did see it when it first came out on DVD. Uh, because, yeah, I'm a, a big fan of Rocky Erickson's music, and I knew um, a little bit about his story. And he does have a, an interesting story. You know, you mentioned he kind of founded psychedelic music with the 13th Floor Elevators in Austin, Texas. And he, um, I guess, had some adverse effects to LSD and was basically put in, like, a, a mental institute for many years and then had, like, shock treatment applied to him and all this crazy stuff that didn't help his his mental situation. But when he was released, he put out what I consider, like, one of the best, especially, like, like you said, if you're into horror movies and cult movies, just... Uh, cult albums and that's like the, i think of demons record it has a lot of different names but the the main rocky erickson and the aliens record with you know i think of demons and i walked with a zombie and like all the songs seem to be you know have some sort of reference to classic horror you know creature with the atom brain and science fiction so uh if you're a fan of that kind of stuff uh, it's, it's a lot of fun it's one of my favorite albums to listen to especially around the fall halloween time but yeah and then 13th floor elevators are also great but yeah, if uh, I agree. Have you guys seen the You're Gonna Miss Me documentary? Are you familiar at all with Rocky Erickson's music? I've also seen him live a couple times, both in Austin and here in Cincinnati. Oh. <laughs> not to brag, not to brag or anything. I like that guy. I don't know a lot about him, uh, but I, there's a couple albums that he's done that I like a great deal. And um, One time I, I ordered um, a couple of books from Henry Rollins' book company, and for yeah. whatever reason, they sent me like four copies of his book of lyrics with my <laughs> order <laughs> which is cool like yeah he writes good lyrics so it's it like a nice gift um i believe i sent one of them to you at one point uh kevin um 
because okay. I, I had an overabundance of them. But um, yeah, I like that guy. I haven't seen the movie, but apparently should since I uh, am interested in learning more about him. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Um, I, I really love those 13th floor elevator records. You know, I, I love that electric jug. I I haven't really done a deep dive on the later stuff, and I'm you know sad to say uh, you know that that I I don't think I've even heard that uh, in the Aliens record, which is a shame. I, I should probably do that immediately following this podcast, and also want to see the documentary because yeah, I, I, he seems like an interesting guy, and uh, I love the the music that I've heard from him so far. Yeah, like Randy said, if you like that uh, Devil and Daniel Johnston, it's it's actually weird, like the kind of parallels between those guys in terms of like you know both from texas and the austin area both like kind of underground figures and both kind of have their own little you know mental things that um are their genius and their you know their curse at the same time so yeah very parallel kind of film so if you like that devil and daniel johnston and haven't seen you're gonna miss me i would say check it out all right next call comes to us from peter from portland who has this to say Hey, folks, it is Peter from Portland. Uh, just wanted to say that I've been enjoying the show lately. Thank you. Glad you made it past 600. Uh, I wanted to call in with a recommendation of one of my favorite movies that I saw in 2021. Hell yeah. And it also doubles as uh, a remedy for Sean and Parker, because I know both of you guys hated that new Dune movie. So here's what you got to do. Look up the movie, The Night of Counting the Years. It takes place in Egypt, like right on the cusp of uh, English colonialism. And Parker, I think you'd like it because it's got this really wonderful, like complex story about people forced to make impossible choices. Sean, I think you'd like it because uh, visually it's it's really interesting. It's got an interesting color palette, but sonically, man, this movie just has like howling wind and, and droning uh, sounds, and it just completely left me in a trance. <clears throat> and it's uh, produced by Roberto Rossellini. So come on, what's the matter? You, you too good for art house films now? Uh, it's, but no, it's, it's really cool. Um, also, uh, I called a couple years ago and, and recommended a theme, uh, recommended you guys try out like a native November where you do a week dedicated to, uh, exploitation movies by indigenous, uh, filmmakers. And, uh, you know, I think I called like like October 31st last year or, you know, a couple years ago. So now I'm recommending it way early in the middle of January. Think about it. There's a new Blood Quantum movie. There's a Wild Indian that came out last year. You could do a Taika Waititi movie. You could do that uh, movie Utu uh, about, it's like a revenge movie from New Zealand. There's some cool options. Think about it. Uh, and whatever you do, keep up the good work. Uh, I hope you all stay happy and healthy in this year ahead. All right. Bye. Oh, thank you, Peter, for calling in the kind words and for the recommendations. I, uh, have you guys seen or heard of this, uh, the night of, the, of counting the years, this Egyptian movie, which is also apparently known as the mummy from 1969, not to be confused with Boris Karloff's 
the mummy. But uh, yeah, 1969 Egyptian film. Apparently, it was on uh, the Criterion Channel at one point. I don't know if it still is. But you you seen this? I have not seen this. It looks cool, and it looks like it's in the public domain, according to my Google search here. So it should be easy to get pixels on this. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in, in you know um, seeing movies from countries for which I've rarely seen films. I'm not sure if I've seen an Egyptian feature film yet. So um, seems cool. Yeah, I haven't heard of it either. But uh, I don't know. I'm kind of like vaguely interested in like that whole like turn of the century like. English dudes exploring Egypt kind of vibe. Uh, like, I feel like I'm open to that sort of energy. So, uh, yeah, I would check this out. Cool. And, yeah, we will take the uh, the Native November under consideration. We'll have to do some research and uh, see what kind of films we can pull to fit that criteria. But I like the idea. So thank you. All right. Next caller. This is uh, Carlos from California who has this to say. Hey, Junk Food Dinner. This is Carlos from California calling again. Uh, so I was listening to the new episode, and I, uh, Sean mentioned uh, the most dangerous game. And he mentioned reading it in high school, or school, rather. And uh, he asked if people or kids nowadays still read it. And as someone who's a little younger than you guys, I can completely with confidence say that, yes, we still read it. I don't know if I think even my younger brother, when he was in high school, still read it. So uh, he's an older Gen Z kid. I don't know if these younger Gen Z kids or these other, like, you know, this newer Gen, whatever they're going to be called, are going to read it. But we still read uh, Most Dangerous Game, and it still rules. And that black and white movie you said that you saw, uh, that is actually um, an adaptation that was made in the 30s. And you are right. It is like Battle Royale for Grandpas. And... It's also made concurrently with uh, the original King Kong because it was the same producers and same sets. And when they would shoot King Kong during the day at night to make an extra buck, they shot that movie. Um, well, they shot that movie. So and it has Faye Ray in it. And um, yeah, same guys. So if you want, it's, it's it makes for a cool double feature to watch uh, the '33 King Kong and then also uh, the '32. Uh, most dangerous game. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, let's uh, give that a shot. Uh, but anyways, uh, just wanted to call and say uh, love in the show. Uh, congrats on 600 episodes, and here's looking to uh, 666. So, all right. Uh, thank you, Carlos, for calling in with the kind words and the, uh, the good uh, history on the most dangerous game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm glad the kids are still reading it. You know, humans hunting humans, that's never going to go out of style, I don't think. That's a, a classic trope that everyone wants to read about. Um, but yeah, the 1932 Most Dangerous Game, you know, I didn't know that about the, the kind of the kind of co-production along with uh, King Kong, but it totally makes sense looking at the uh, the cast and crew. I mean, obviously, you've got Ernest P. Schoedstack directing um, both. You've got Marion C. Cooper producing both. You got, like you said, Faye Ray. RKO Studios, you know. So I will have to do a double feature on that because that sounds like a cool back-to-back, especially because it looks like this 1932 Most Dangerous Game is widely available to watch on pretty much every platform available. Yeah, it's on HBO right now. I know that. It's on Prime. It's on Tubi. It's on Paramount Plus. Literally everywhere. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'll check that out. All right. 
Uh, final caller comes to us from our friend, the Fallen One, who has this to say. Hey, Jeffrey, Dead guys, it's the Fallen One, and I'm cleaning house. Uh, meaning that I'm taking all my DVDs and converting them to digital media. So I came across this uh, DVD called The Animation Show, and it was presented by Mike Judd and Don Hurstfeld. I'm not quite sure what MTV involvement was with this thing, but this was like a collection of short animations, mostly ranged from 10 minutes long, so I'm going to recommend three of them for you. So the first one's called Mount Head, or in Japanese, uh, Yatama Yama, I think that's how you pronounce it, is a short uh, anime about this uh, uh, stingy man who uh, loves uh, cherry uh, uh, cherries, and uh, one day something grows on his head, and it turns out to be a cherry blossom tree. Uh, the second one is uh, The Rocks, or in German, uh, Das Rad. This is a German uh, short film about two rocks that are uh, by uh, the road. It's all stop-motion animation and mixed with a few puppetry and CGI. And uh, while their world is like slowed down, all around them is building up fast. And the last one is called Fallen Arts. Uh, this is a Polish uh, CGI uh, animation about an army base where they're making art in the most brutal way. So that's about it. I'll see you guys later. Oh, thank you, Fallen One, for calling in. Yeah, man, I remember the animation show um, very vividly. In fact, you know, well, so kind of what it what it uh, started as, it was a theatrical thing that, yeah, like you said, um, Mike Judge and Don Hertzfeld did, and it was sponsored by MTV. So, um, but yeah, it was, I think it was 2003, they it was a theatrical you know combat showing that where they would show um you know a collection of international short animated films um that was picked by mike judge and don hertzfeld and it was along the same lines of like that spike and mike's twisted animation festival that they used to do but yeah i remember seeing it in the theaters in 2003 and i think they did it a couple years later in 2005 i think they did it basically like every other year they like would skip a year but the first couple years that it came out in theaters i remember going to see it and like you said they subsequently released them on dvd and i thought it was great and i wish they would do more stuff like this because you know these short you know we talk about shorts on this show once a month now but they're they're a hard platform you know to see especially theatrically because you know, theaters don't really do that thing anymore where they'll run a short in front of a feature film. And so a lot of times the only way to see them in theaters is either during a film festival or during, you know, some sort of collection where they compile all like the Oscar nominated short films or, you know, things like that into one program. And, you know, you buy a ticket for that. But even those are kind of few and far between. And you have to go to usually art house theaters to see them. But what was cool about this was I remember this animation show. It ran you know, in pretty mainstream theaters, and it was a chance for a lot of people uh, to see a lot of these animated shorts. And again, 2003, this was pre-YouTube, and, you know, it was a lot harder to see some of these back then, especially these international ones. So I thought it was really cool. Do you guys remember this at all when it was out in theaters or the subsequent DVDs? I don't remember this. I, I do remember the Spike and Mike Twisted uh, or Sick and Twisted Animation Festival, which I think was maybe a little little bit before this, but yeah, no, I, I, like I don't remember 90s. this. Sounds cool. Yeah, I, I do not remember this either, but I'm in. 
Yeah, it was cool. I mean, and it got a little press and like um, on MTV, and I remember like seeing ads for it and the music publications of the time, you know, Rolling Stone and whatnot. So it was it was pretty big, but yeah, like I said, those DVDs are out there. I see them in used DVD bins all the time for you know a buck or two. So you go check those out. I like but, that kind of hustle. Absolutely. <laughs> But if you'd like to give us a call on the Junk Food Dinner voicemail line, please do. Pick up your phone and dial 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Or, as always, you can just send us an email, jfdpodcast at gmail.com. But really, let your voice be heard. Get on the show. Let us know what's going on. All right. That being said, let's get into some nerd news. From the global resources of Junk Food Dinner Worldwide, it's time for Nerd News. Well, the big nerd news this week comes from our friends over at the Bloody D, thebloodyd.com, I think they call it. Uh, Scream <laughs> is a massive box office hit, slashing into a $35 million four-day opening. Uh, it goes on to say, horror is king once again. Scream has slayed Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Paramount and Spyglass are celebrating a monster hit. You guys get the, a monster hit. I thought it's there'd really be laughs there. Not really a monster in Scream. It's more of a, you know, it's not a supernatural killer. It's just a killer. Yeah, humans yeah, are the real monsters, though. All right, fair enough. We'll, we'll see if there's any other humor later on in this that will tickle your fancy. Uh Early numbers are in, blah, 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 made 30 and a half million over the weekend um, and 35 plus on the four day stretch. These are massive numbers in comparison to Scream 4, which opened 10 years ago to only uh, about 18 and a half million and ended its entire domestic run with only 38 million. It never crossed the 100 million mark worldwide. And there wasn't even a global pandemic going on back then. That is true, um, but I, I guess there is now more pent-up interest in Scream films for whatever reason. Um, made a bunch of money overseas, blah, blah, blah. Um, it seems likely, I guess, based on this, that this will not be the final Scream. I'm sure that, you know, where they see dollar signs, they you know, they're going to be making more of these movies. So I have not seen this yet. I was excited, actually, because... I'm starting to feel that kind of scream nostalgia that I think is probably fueling uh, their box office here. But early reports from one member of our um, <laughs> broadcast team here were not so positive. Uh, Mr. Bowman, have, have you seen this Scream 5? I did. Yeah, I fell into the hype for it. I love these Scream movies. Like, they just... Something about, like, these overlit, like, soap opera-y slashers. Like, these very keenly polished Wes Craven creations like I don't know it, like there's nothing else really like it you know like most slasher movies are like kind of gritty and grimy like so I don't know like it's they're kind of unique and it and it hits me in a soft spot so that I I really like him or I'm mean, even when I don't like him I still like him um, that, that might be why you like something like a happy death day and I think you do have an affinity mm-hmm. for like a daytime slasher yeah like if someone's gonna put like a lot, you know, yeah, like kind of combining Saved by the Bell with a slasher. I'm, I'm fucking in. And if you're gonna light, put lights everywhere, oh, I love it. Um, but yeah, so I was like kind of hyped up for this, but I, I did not like it. It's probably my least favorite Scream. 
but really? not enough lights everywhere. Not enough lights. Everywhere. Well, actually, no. It's very well lit. Like there are even some like kind of spooky scenes that take place in broad daylight, which is something I I love a lot that you don't see in uh, horror movies too often, and that might be my favorite sequence of the movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was just like kind of like like they cheat a lot. Like the mystery. Like one thing that's so great about Scream is like. You know, after you've seen it a hundred times, you can kind of go back and deconstruct it. And you're like, oh, you know, that's why this character said this, because he already knew that such and such character was already dead. And in this, like, they just kind of fudge it and fake it and nothing kind of makes sense. And it's all kind of annoying. And there's just, like no need for like the original characters to even show up at all. Like, I don't, it's just a mess. I didn't care for it. Yeah, this movie stunk. <laughs> but okay, I mean, saw it. Uh, well, I was going to say I'm in like the vast minority. Like everybody else loves this. So, and if you're interested, still go see it. I mean, I'm I'm not in a rush. I'll, I'll just wait for it to hit streaming. But either way, I'll stream it, and either I'm going to hate it and probably quit 20 minutes in, or maybe I'll <laughs> see it through. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I I was genuinely surprised by the hype around this. Not because I mean, you know, not that Scream wasn't a huge franchise in the 90s and i guess it's starting to like sean said kind of reach peak nostalgia but after like how poorly received that scream 4 was i just kind of felt like this had kind of died out and like you know just wasn't that popular anymore and i didn't think this reboot was gonna i mean you like that scream tv series but is it really that popular i mean does it have the crazy clamoring like this seems like this movie does no, I, I don't. I mean, it ran for three seasons, so people must have been watching it, and they did a TV movie. But yeah, it's not something I ever hear about. Like I, so I don't. I mean, it, it might be like a hit with like the the young young kids, like not necessarily yeah. people who are in like the Joe Bob group or whatever. But and maybe that's what's fueling this. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I, I think it. This is one of those rare properties where it's like you got multiple different groups of fans coming at it. You've got, you know, these younger people that see the TV show, people our age that enjoyed, you know, the original movies, maybe some people in between that enjoyed those later ones, you know, as bad as they were. So it's, and that's why, you know, we're never going to not get Spider-Man movies ever again is because you, you get these pockets of generational interest that if they're spread widely enough, they'll just always make money. Yeah, I think that's what we've seen with Halloween. Like, you get your oldsters who like the, you know, part one and two, and then your people our age who grew up with parts like three, four, five, and then the youngs who had their Halloween H2O, and then your even youngers who had your Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like, it's just, uh, yeah, the more you crank these out, the more you're going to sucker people into watching for the further adventures, I guess. I'm just surprised that it's taken them this long you know, I would think that we would have like a million Freddy Kruegers by now. Like that's that's the one property where I'm like, why isn't there like a new remake series of Freddy Kruegers coming out like every year now, like good or bad? I think they would sell tickets. Yeah, I, it is shocking to me. I mean, I, I will never not be shocked that Freddy versus Jason came out and it made more money than all other Freddy and Jason movies combined. And then both franchises just went away forever. Basically, like, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess they did those remakes, but like, I think those remakes kind of did well. People didn't really like them, but like they made money. So like you would think that they would just keep milking those guys. But yeah, 
Especially with, reason. with Wes Craven now dead, like nobody to object, but yeah. So who knows? Well, I object. Fair enough. <laughs> well, okay, that works. No, but um, not to switch subjects, but you guys mentioned the uh, the Halloween. Um, I did see that this year marks the 40th anniversary of Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. And uh, apparently, are you guys familiar with like Trick or Treat Studios? They're that like company that makes like really high end masks and you know props and stuff for, and just like just generally cool stuff for horror movies. Um, they're putting out like a whole new line of uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch merchandise, which includes like old school like vacuum formed uh, mask and like like plastic costumes for like the witch and the skull and the pumpkin they look very cool so <laughs> i'll probably be picking those up you had me at vacuum formed you know wh- whether yeah. it's a signage for a donut shop or you know a, a, a halloween mask to put on my kid's face vacuum form is where it's at mm-hmm. yeah they're like the old you know like uh what do they call it? ben cooper you know style halloween costumes yeah mm-hmm. i didn't see that yet but i'm i'm interested I like that season of the witch. Mm -hmm. Speaking of costumes, people at my screening of scream were so hyped that one guy came in a scream costume. Well, that's what I was going to say. I I saw a ton of photos online of people like cosplaying and like getting really pumped for this new scream movie. I was very surprised at the hype around it. I think people are just, they're itching horror fans. they, They need that, you know, they'll take anything. People yeah. are wearing like full on ghost face costumes or Yeah, yeah, there was a guy in a ghost face costume. And they allow that. Yeah. Despite the opening of Scream Two. We know yeah. it's dangerous. Seems da- in you know, in this world where people are going to purge movies and getting purged. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah. want to see a ghost face next to me in the cinema. I think yeah, the employees yeah. were just glad they could finally convince people to wear masks in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, speaking of people who wear masks in the theater, you know your boy Weird Al wears masks. He's conscientious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my news is that Weird, the Al Yankovic story, uh, will be coming. Uh, it stars Daniel Radcliffe, uh, I guess produced and co-written by Weird Al himself. Uh, when I first saw this news early this morning, I said, who the fuck wants to see it? A biopic about Weird Al. He rules and everything, but he's the most boring. Like, there's no controversy about Weird Al. This is going to make him a terrible movie. And then I realized it's based on that short film that he did, where it was like a uh, a satire about, you know, it was like, what if Weird Al did have a lot of controversy in his life? Um, do you guys remember that short that Funnier Die did? Yeah, and I'm actually glad to hear that that's the case because that's the first thing I thought of when I. <laughs> or, or I was like, didn't they do this already in that funnier die short? Like, it's already been done. And I was like, okay, it's the same people involved. So that's cool. Yeah. So they're turning that full full length, which I think is the right way to go. Um, and I mean, like, there's so many of these, like, dopey, like, music biopics lately. Like, yeah, the Elton John one, the Queen one. So I think having Weird Al kind of come out to goof on them, uh, as I imagine that this will probably do, sounds very fun. Um but sadly, it's on the Roku channel, uh, so I don't, I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch this. 
but nonetheless, I love Weird Al, and so uh, yeah, I think this will be fun. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm into this. Uh, like I, I like you said, I like that funnier die sketch, and I think this could be adequately turned into a full length movie. Like if I'm thinking like um, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if it's in that vein, I'm I'm all in. I yeah, I'm I'm also intrigued. You know, I'm I'm a fan of Weird Al. Um, I never saw Rocky Erickson in concert, but I did see Weird Al in concert. That's one of my my proud mm-hmm. moments in history. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he's cinematically he's he's one for one at this point, right? Like it's UHF is is great. I don't know that he's mm-hmm. really done any other movies, has he? I mean, he's had oh. TV sketch but, well, kind of stuff. There's the complete Al, which is kind of a mockumentary. Oh, but... yeah. Yeah, well, that was straight to video, though, I think, right? Yeah, so... yeah, yeah, that's true. And and, and who knows where this is landing? Is this a streamer, or do we know? Yeah, you say? Roku, the Roku, Roku channel. Oh, Roku, that's right, yeah, which who the fuck knows what that even means, so. Well, uh, I did use not the Roku theatrical, though. to watch uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, so I have used it before. Oh, so they're on the up and up. I mean, okay. Allegedly, they got Alfred Hitchcock presents in this. That's all I can say. They're not going to take my money and and refuse to stream me a, a Weird Al. You don't think? Well, I, I think it's free. I don't think there's any money to be taken. Well, now who's an insane person, Kevin Moss? You're telling me I can see this Weird Al document or not documentary, but uh, effectively mockumentary for free? Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Lord, that also really? betrays the verisimilitude of this being a mockumentary. Okay. I love that drop. Me too. I don't know. This uh, this deadline column does not uh, say whether or not Weird Al will fight vampires or Draculas in this movie, though. Oh, it doesn't? It doesn't say anything about that. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Why are they fighting Dracula, for God's sakes? <laughs> well, we don't know if they will be, I guess. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. I just have a, a lot of scrolling piece. for that. <laughs> I just have a brief piece of nerd news. Nothing too exciting, but they, uh, you know, it's always nice to see when Criterion announces what the, their next round of movies are going to be in this uh, week. They announced their April releases, uh, which will include, and, and here's the way it always goes with the Criterion releases for me. It'll be a bunch of stuff that I've never heard of, or is just you know too, too fancy or art housey or historical or above my head. And then usually they'll squeeze in one kind of junk foodie dinner movie, like maybe something we've done on the show. And that's the case for the month of April. They've got things coming out like For All Mankind, Round Midnight, um, This Is My Desire, uh, some, Miracle, some art house shit called Boat People. <laughs> well, boat pe- boat people is a uh, February release. That's uh, oh well. That's, tip, that's of the, tip of the hat to next month. Yeah, that's that's been announced for a while. But yeah, again, that was like February's like inclusion of a junk food dinner movie. But uh, and they're also in uh, in March releasing Le Cercle Rouge, which I remember liking on the show. Yeah, I'll have to uh, go back and watch that. But but in April, I am excited because they are releasing The Girl Can't Help It. The Jane Mansfield, uh, Frank Tashin directed movie that we watched on the podcast all those many years ago where J 
Jane Mansfield is the hottest broad on the planet, and she's being followed around by Tom Ewell from Seven Year Itch. And uh, they go around and watch uh, performances by rock and roll pioneers at the time, like Little Richard, Fats Domino, and Gene Vincent. It's a fun, fun movie. I like it a lot, and I'm very excited for this Criterion release. But what do you guys think? Did you guys like The Girl Can't Help It Enough that you might plunk down 20 bucks during a, you know, a Criterion flash sale and pick this up on disc? I just may, Kevin Moss, because this is the kind of movie that, you know, despite, you know, whether or not you do or don't love the narrative story of it, it's got those musical performances. So, I mean, it's the kind of movie that you can watch multiple times and just enjoy those parts. And um, yeah, I, I think I've only seen it the one time, you know, when we did it for the show, but I did enjoy it then. I, I like Tom Ewell, you know, between this movie and, and Seven Year Itch, he had a, a good run there in, in the mid 50s. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I that they picked say. this. Yeah. I'd say it's a good run when you get to sit next to Jane Mansfield and Marilyn Monroe and get paid for it. Yeah. In back <laughs> back to back years. So Yeah, I liked this movie too. Uh I, I yeah, I'll probably buy this when it comes out on one of those fifty percent sales. I, I remember liking that if I remember correctly, there's a joke where like Jane Mansfield walks by a guy who's delivering ice and then the ice melts. Like that's very funny to me. So <laughs> So yeah, I would definitely like to see this again. Well, then not only that, she walks by a milkman and his uh, his milk explodes in a very obvious ejaculate reference. I love ejaculate references, especially in the fifth. Kind of a weird fetish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that just about wraps it up for the nerd news. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into our first short film of the evening, and that is the Academy Award-winning Tango from 1980, so stick around.
objects live and animated. I'll take the live, you're more animated. Thank you. <laughs> For the best achievement in an animated short film, the nominees are The Great Cognito, Will Vinton Producer. Snowman, produced by John Coates. Tango, the producer is Zubignu Ribchki Sky, something. The envelope. And the winner is Tango Jibnuski Sky. Welcome back to Jump Cruise. You know, the first short film we're going to be taking a look at on the show this evening is Tango, a movie that was either made in 1980 or 1981. Again, depending on who you ask, but this is a Polish animated short film clocking in at a scant eight minutes. Uh, but this won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film at the 55th Academy Awards, uh, the first Polish film to win such an award and this is one that i had just kind of heard about you know when it comes to short films i'll be honest with you sometimes i have you know something specific in mind that i really want to cover a short film that i'd heard about or something i'd seen sometimes i'm coming up blank on the short films and then i just google weird short films or surreal short films or you know odd short films. And uh, this is how I end up coming across things like Tango from 1981. Uh, so within this eight-minute short film, it says animated, but it's kind of... Uh, I mean, it is animated, but it is photorealistic in terms of it's not drawn, but they take actual photography of people. Uh, but this essentially, we're focused on a static shot of one room a uh, very scant plain room with just a window, a table, and like a little cupboard in it. And first we see a little basketball come through the window. And then a kid climbs through the window. And again, the way this animation style is done, it looks like basically they photographed this kid coming in through the window. Then like cut out the frames one by one. And then he comes in, grabs the basketball, goes back out the window. It, it, the effect almost looks more like it's kind of green screened badly more than animation because it just it looks like live mm-hmm. action but with like black outlines around the characters you know and, and I know that it is animated but I'm just saying that's kind of what it looks like yeah and this is a, an, an effect with this movie where it you know you, when you think in 1980 Poland terms this was all handcrafted you know done with like literally splicing and cutting out film and, and painstakingly stop motion editing this. And then you think this could all be done in five minutes on a computer today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, mm-hmm. you know, even, even the planning of it, I feel like on a computer today would be much easier, like shooting it and editing yeah. it is, is definitely one thing, but just in terms of like planning, you know, as you'll get to like how the space will work and where people can and can't be standing. Like I can't even imagine mapping that out without a computer. Right. So, yeah, what continues to unfold throughout this is that each 
so then another person comes into the room, like a lady comes into the room and she picks something up and then exits. And then the motions start repeating themselves. So the basketball comes back through the window, the kid comes back, grabs it, comes out, the lady comes out, grabs something from the table. Then another person comes in, like stands up on the table and then falls off, and then that repeats. And so all these actions repeat. And so what happens is you kind of get stuck in this time loop of like it's like a royal rumble. Every couple of minutes a new contender <laughs> enters the ring. <laughs> and uh and then they but they just keep repeating their same, you know, shtick where they just do their thing over and over again. Some of them get a little saucy. Uh, a nude lady comes in, grabs a dress out of the cupboard and puts it on. You get to see a little full frontal nudity. Uh, at another time, a couple comes in and just start fucking banging away in the foreground. Um, again, you know, kids. Next thing come- you know, he's boning this chick. Absolutely. And that's what the people at the academy said when they viewed this in 1982. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and again, so the, the room just becomes more and more cluttered with these people. But like Sean said, they don't, it's not haphazard. Like the people all have to exist within the space realistically. It's not, there's, they can't overlap. So like you said, it, it must've been kind of challenging to map all this out. And, you know, like I said, hand animate this by cutting these images out. And so from what I understand, the director of this, uh, a name so Polish, I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> oh boy, you're robbing us of that joy. I, th- I've been waiting this entire review for you to even <laughs> attempt, but okay, that's fair. It is crazy that name. <laughs> I, I, the last name I'm just going to say is probably Rabinsky. Let's just say Rabinsky because yeah, that's a name. <laughs> yeah, but it it's I don't think there's there's not a lot of vowels in this thing anyway very very weird looking anyway this dude was uh apparently very committed to this uh short film like sleeping at the studio like he would like just be there 24 hours a day um splicing this bad boy up so it's definitely a labor of love and i think he worked over a year straight just putting this fucking eight minutes together which again when you look at it today you're like this could all be done in a matter of minutes on the modern computer, but God bless the handcrafted Polish nature of this, because, you know, while it is an interesting, you know, it's not something that I'm going to watch every day, but it is, it's interesting to see. I mean, it's like you said, like I said, if you have interest in animation and just kind of this, uh, unique, uh, style and this handcrafted thing, like it's, there's no wonder that, uh, it, it, it won the short film because I think it is impressive, uh, even though you know it's basically plotless. There's nothing really to glean from it. These, I don't think there's any real message to it. It's more just an exercise in uh, can we do this? Not necessarily like we want to convey some message. I mean, I've some some people say like you know it it represents the the tango of life, all the different intricate moving <laughs> parts that you know make up our day to day world. And I guess you could could take it that way but really like i said i think it was just an animation exercise to uh see how much kind of crazy stuff we can loop and splice into this little room um and yeah i you know it's fun like i said like a royal rumble you're you're excited to see who or what is going to show up next in the next entrance into this this weird little room so again at eight minutes it's a pretty breezy watch and um pretty uh, kind of a fun a uh, little 
experiment in the world of primitive stop motion photography animation. But uh, I thought this was fun and, uh, you know, something I just kind of came across Googling around for short films. Glad I finally got a chance to see it. It is available. I mean, uh, if you want to watch it, it's it's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo and Daily Motion and like all those sites. Uh, if for some reason you wanted to add this to your library, it, it is available on DVD as part of um, like a, a short films collection um, that you can purchase. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a cool little watch. But what did you guys think of Tango? Well, I am also very glad that we all got the chance to watch this tango this week because I don't know about you guys, but I, I remember very well uh, where I was, you know, when this won, you know, for the first time ever, Poland winning the best animated short or, or whatever at the 55th uh, annual Oscars. Uh, no, I, I had never heard of this thing before. I uh, can't say I was clamoring to watch this, had never heard of, the, of this director at all. Uh, didn't know anything about it. Just just popped it on. You know, you sent the YouTube link. I'm like, okay, cool. Let me click this and started watching. And, you know, like at first I'm, I'm looking at this set and it I actually didn't even know that it was going to be animated. You know, I'm just looking at this set that looks kind of like a dollhouse. You know, it, it right. kind of looks like uh, David Lynch's rabbits, like that kind of environment. And I'm like, this seems like it's going to be my kind of a thing. Just just based on this set. I'm like, this looks kind of cool. And as it went on, you know, you mentioned uh, Royal Rumble, which, I, you know, I think is appropriate. But as it went on, I was first thinking like, well, this kind of reminds me of like um, playing like PC games as a teenager. Things like The Sims or Theme Hospital, you know, like these these games where you would have these little animated loops of characters doing little behaviors. And, and I used to always like watching, you know, in Theme Hospital, there'd be a, a guy that would like throw up and then be embarrassed by his own vomit and I would watch his little animation and stuff like that. Um, and then it started getting like more and more complex. And, and I started, you know, realizing what they were doing here with, you know, each loop of it is adding one character. Because at first, I mean, it doesn't set it up. It just starts doing it. And you don't, at least for me at first, I didn't realize that things were looping until like the, maybe the fourth guy comes on screen. And then it's like, I don't know, like it became transcendent. It, it kind of reminds me of like a... Um, like a minimalist composition from, you know, like a guy like Terry Riley, who did that uh, composition in C, which is basically like you're adding instruments throughout the composition. You know, it's yeah. like playing the same set of notes over and over again, but you just add another instrument on the rounds. And I thought it was cool. It's such a cool, unique approach to a short film, uh, something that I'd never seen before. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it is mostly like a technical exercise, but I think there is... You know, if you smoke a heavy doobie before this, I, I think you can come away with some kind of, you know, meditation on, you know, how people have to occupy the same space. And, yeah, that whole tango of life thing that you said, I think there's a little, little bit of, of that in there. Um, I actually watched it twice in a row. You know, I, I watched it once and I was like, this is so much fun. And I got eight minutes. I'm going to do this again. And, and on the second watch, I was trying to keep track of all the characters. I, I wanted to count them all. And you know, just try and see if I could follow where they all came in and came out each time and, and look for things. And um, I didn't I didn't make it all the way to the end counting. I, I did watch it all. But at a certain point, I was just enjoying it. And I forgot that I was counting. Um, but I wish this was longer. You know, I wish that he had made more of these. I'm not sure if he did. I don't think he, he did, but maybe he did. 
Um, Because I could watch like an hour long version of this, you know, like I've got a videotape. They used to make these video art kind of tapes where it's basically just like a screensaver for your TV, I guess. You know, and I've got one called Boyfish, I think it's called, where it's just naked men swimming for like an hour and a half or the duration of the tape, I think. Just, you know, um, naked men swimming in this dimly lit swimming pool. And it's like video art. And that thing has very limited use. There's not a whole lot of parties where I can bust that tape out. But if there was an hour-long version of this, you put this on in a party in the background, I think people would like it. People would start asking questions, the right kind of questions, unlike that Boyfish tape. So overall, (laughs) you know, I was very impressed. Um, You know, like you said, this is pre-computer. That's even more impressive. But I, I like the the kind of resulting style that you get here, you know, in terms of it being handmade. I, I think if somebody made this today, not only would it be easier to do, but it wouldn't have that unique look. You know, it, I think if this looked completely clean, if it didn't have those black lines around the people moving around, I think you actually lose something because um, it would just feel like a, a video game exactly at that point. But this feels more like you got to an artisan behind the scenes, you know, he's he's got his like paper dolls, basically, you know, and he, he's got his dollhouse and he's putting together this interesting little performance for you. So I thought this left a really, um, you know, interesting impression on me. Like I, it, it kind of took me aback. And um, this is certainly something that I plan to rewatch again. And I'll be looking up this director to see if he made anything else cool. Yeah, well, the, looking up the director, I mean, he do, he mostly worked in short subject, and um, he did uh, immigrate to the United States shortly after winning that Academy Award. And most of the stuff he did after coming to the United States was uh, actually music video work. He uh, did music videos for Grandmaster Flash, Chuck Mangione, Art of Noise, Lou Reed, Jimmy Cliff, Simple Minds, Cameo, Yoko Ono, Alan Parsons Project, Pet Shop Boys. Mick Jagger, Super Tramp, Rush, Mr. Mister. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to check out some of his music videos, see how they fare. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be heading to YouTube after this. <laughs> well, when you head to YouTube, I got another uh, video for you to put on your list. Um, because as I was watching this, or before watching it, I, I went to Letterboxd to put it on my watch list. And... You know, it has like a synopsis of what happens. You know, it says like a boy puts his ball in the room. He goes in to get it. He leaves. He does it again. Someone comes in. And I was like, that sounds familiar. I think I've seen this. or I've, That's that's familiar. And I start watching it. And, then, you know, about like the third or fourth person who comes in, I was like, I know what this is. This is the video for Redundant by Green Day. Uh, Green Day did this video for a song called Redundant. And they they just did this, but Green Day's in it. Like they just, I mean, it's not the exact same thing. Like they have their own people and their own loops and everything like that. Um, but that's a really good video. And now I see where it came from. And you're right, it does it. It looks a lot cleaner in their video because they had you know 15 plus years of more technology. Um, yeah, but it despite, looks like that's 2011 redundant. Is that possible? That's what the YouTube says. Or 2009, it also says. No, 1998 is when it originally. Yeah. That's probably the YouTube copyright date. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 98 is when the. But yeah, now that you mentioned that, I totally forgot about that fucking video. 
And you're right. <laughs> it's it's totally inspired by this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Absolutely. Even like the, the window kind of looks similar. Yeah. There's a lot of elements that are identical. And the concept, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. The dollhouse is kind of similar, just like kind of, you know, a little a little bit more polished and everything. Um, so, yeah. So that's interesting. I thought that was cool. And like, um, yeah, like Sean said, it's like when you're watching this, you're kind of like just watching, just you know, to see exactly where everybody's going. And it's kind of like the family circus, you know, like you're kind of tracing everybody's footsteps and um, like the real fun of it, especially like, you know, as it goes on and more and more people pile in is like just to see how how like you guys said, how carefully planned out it is. I mean, I think I saw like maybe there's like maybe like a couple of characters I saw where like they kind of clipped each other and kind of walked through each other. But like for the most part, like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's amazing how clean everything is and how nobody gets in anybody else's way and how, I mean, it, it kind of almost gets a little anxiety ridden because, like, you know the guy's going to come in and spank that dog on the bed, but you also know the couple's <laughs> going to come in and make out on the bed. They have, you know, they have to crash into each other. There's no way they can time this just right, but they always do time it just right. And it's, um, it, you know, that that kind of stuff is really fun to watch once people start piling in. Uh, also, I don't know why that guy spanked that dog. I'm upset about, about that. <laughs> yeah. He seemed like a good dog. He did spank that dog. Yeah. And then um, the guy who falls off the table, he's my favorite. I yeah, like he's, the, he's my favorite, too. So. Yeah. I, I, I like the, the vocalization that he makes at the time, you know, where he's like, yeah. ah! <laughs> yeah, I think. like 15 more times. Uh-huh. Yeah. He might be the only one that has like a a sound effect that goes with him. Uh, I think there's Maybe. a baby. The baby cries. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, they're, they're few and far between the the vocal ones, and so that's yeah, it's fun to catch him falling. Um, and then uh, yeah, a toilet guy. I like toilet guy a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, and red red outfit guy. He's fun. He steals um, the package. Yeah. Or no, he's the guy who puts the package up, and then the other guy, Justin okay, all Black, yeah. steals it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, lo- I like that window guy who's stealing the package. Yeah, he's good. And stuff like that's fun, too. Like, you see that, because you're introduced to the stealing the package guy first, and you're like, well, if he's going to come in and steal the package every single time, who's going to replace the package? And lo and behold, here comes Red Guy uh, replacing the package. And so, um, so, yeah, so that stuff is fun, too. So, yeah, this is, uh, you know, like you said, it's, you know, it's definitely just an exercise in figuring out what you can do, but it's fun to watch. It's super cool. So, uh, I had fun watching it. Well, yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed this and I'm glad we got to learn a little bit about a little slice of Polish short film and, uh, make a little green day connection. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. There we go. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for tango from 1980. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our second short film, another film that received, equally as much praise from both the Academy and Green Day. That's Dorf on Golf from 1987. <laughs> uh, here once again, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest star James Coco in a very small gigantic finale. Hit it, guys! <laughs> Terrific. Short people got no reason. Short people got 
no reason short people got no reason to live they got little hands and little eyes and they go around telling great big lies they got little noses and tiny little teeth they wear platform shoes on their tiny little feet well i don't want no short people i don't want no short people i don't want no short people around here Short people are just the same as you and I. All men are brothers until the day they die. It's a wonderful world. Short people got nobody. Short people got nobody. Short people got nobody to love. They got little baby legs and they stand so low. You gotta pick him up just to save him. They got little cars that go beep, beep, beep. They got little voices going peep, peep, peep. A grubby little fingers and dirty little minds. They're gonna get you every time. But I don't want no short people. I don't want no short people. I don't want no short people out here. I hope I haven't offended you. You know, I, I was short once myself. Extraordinaire. Conway shows his form and shows you how his caddy Leonard improves his game. Dorf shows how to swing, how to hit out of the rough. And over and under a sand trap. Through this special TV offer, you get Tim's comedy book free. So get Dorf, 
All right, now. welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The next uh, short film on the show tonight is going to be Dorf on Golf uh, from 1987. You guys remember Dorf. You know, he, he was the, the pint-sized human uh, played by a regular-sized human uh, named Tim Conway in a series of comedic videotapes. Um, something that I never knew, actually, was that the character was originally created by Tim Conway uh, for a sketch on The Tonight Show, um, you know, with Johnny Carson back in the day. I guess he was going to be a horse jockey kind of a character uh, who is comedically short. Um, actually, before we start, I will let you know every single thing that I do know about Tim Conway, uh, which is, what's a Tim Conway? Oh, about 120 pounds. That, that's all <laughs> I know is the Simpsons joke. Uh, I guess he was a TV comedian or something, uh, and he, he made all these dwarf tapes that I remember uh, being on video store shelves as a yeah. kid. He um he was on the Carol Burnett show a lot. Yeah. And um I remember he was also a comedic team with uh um back because he's from Ohio as well. He and uh, the dude that played Goulardi, um Okay. Uh, Ernie Anderson, um uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's dad. They were a comedy team in Ohio and then they uh they went out to Hollywood together to conquer the world. I don't know why, but in my mind, especially as a kid, I always lumped him in with the Smothers Brothers, who I, I think were really kind of earlier in yeah. TV history than him. But maybe they look similar or something. I don't know. But old timey TV guy. Um, this this uh, dwarf short that he made um, was directed by Roger Beatty, uh, who was a writer and director for things like The Carol Burnett Show. So that makes sense. And. I think he also did a, a TV variety show with Tim Conway in the lead at some point in time before this. And he would go on to direct the next three dwarfs after this one. Uh, this is actually the first dwarf short. And do you guys want to guess how many dwarfs were made? Well, and, uh, there's a lot. Yeah, because I remember working at Blockbuster and Suncoast Video back in the 90s. And even then, which I feel like was kind of like after the peak of Dwarf Mania, there was still quite a few on the shelves. So I'd have to imagine like maybe at least 10, right? What about you, Bowman? You want, you want to lock in an answer? Uh, I, saw it, I saw it on Letterboxd. Letterboxd tells you in the summary of this how many there were, but now I forget. I think, I think it's less than 10. I think it's like 7 or 8. If you would believe it, there are 13 of oh. these dwarfs. Okay. That surprised the heck out of me, because, I mean, I knew about these early ones from the 80s, you know, from the video stores. Uh, but I figured that they, you know, eventually would stop making these. But he never really did. He made these pretty much up until his death. You know, uh, Tim Conway passed in 2019. Uh, the most recent one of these is 2016's Chip and Bernie Save Christmas with Dorf. That's not to say that maybe there might be some footage out there that they've shot. Maybe there's a Dorf in post-production. I don't know. There could be 14. Uh, before it's all said and done. Uh, side note, it looks like some of these, including Dorf's go Golf Bible from 1988, um, have Eddie Deason in them, um, which is fun. Makes me kind of interested to check those out. Um, as for the content of this tape, though, you know, it's more or less what you would expect from something called Dorf on Golf. Uh, this little dwarf guy tries to teach the audience how to play golf, but he's constantly foiled by his own tiny little body. Uh, and also by his dim-witted and slow-moving caddy named Leonard, played here by uh, Vince Chiavelli, uh, who you might remember from Ghost. 
Um, all kinds of comedic mix-ups that you might expect happen. You know, he gets trapped in a sand trap, I think, at one point. Uh, somebody runs Dorf over with a golf cart at another point, you know, which reminded me of my own golf cart misadventures as a child. Stuff like that, you know. Um, there's no real plot or anything to this, just just jokes. Um, which I guess, you know, maybe used to be less of a rarity back in the day, you know, in a world before things like Adult Swim, uh, the video stores would often have like a, a weird little special interest section uh, where you might find videos like this, you know, and you'd, you'd see things like Milton Burl teaching you low impact aerobics or uh, instructional videos on welding techniques or, or dwarf videos, you know, and or how about um, uh, Larry Bud Melman's Couch Potato Workout? Certainly, Certainly. yeah. Or Swayze dancing, uh, for one. I mean, there, there was all kinds of uh, treasures, in, and sadly also faces of death. You would have to trip over some faces of death tapes to get to these fun, um, silly dwarf tapes. But uh, it was a thing. You know, people wanted weird variety, I guess, in their rentals. And, and I remember seeing these in literally like every video store as a child um, from the first one I went to onwards. There was always a dwarf tape. And I wasn't sure that I had actually seen this. So, you know, I, I wanted to watch it. I, I figured, I you know, I got to watch Dwarf on Golf before I die. You know, even if it's not in that big book of, of movies that one guy says I got to watch before I die, I'm saying I got to watch this one. And I'm glad that I did because, you know, despite kind of expecting what this would be and, and being correct for most of it, um, I never would have expected the fact that this would have a live studio audience <laughs> that is <laughs> providing a laugh track and clapping along to these bits that are all filmed outdoors, you know, with multiple camera angles that are, I mean, it the, the whole conceit of it doesn't make any sense. Like this could not be on a stage. There couldn't be people watching this. There, there would be no room in America where you would gather a crowd to sit down and, and <laughs> laugh to this footage. So I'm sure it's just taken from some sitcom from the 50s or something, but um, it's fun. It's a fun little detail. I also didn't notice um, as a child, I don't think that Vince Chiavelli was the co-lead of this, you know, playing the caddy. And I love that guy. And I think he's really great in this and gets a, a lot of screen time. So that's fun. And I think I was also, as a child, confused about how they achieved this incredible special effect that I think would probably make the cast of Tiptoes jealous. You know, I, I always assumed that it was just a kneeling kind of situation, but it seems like they actually went to the trouble in, in this feature, at least. We'll see if their their budget allows in future outings. But they went to the trouble here of digging a hole, you know? So there's <laughs> there's probably some golf course out there in, in this fine country, I'm guessing, that still has uh, dwarf holes that hopefully have been bronzed <laughs> by now. I would hope that no foolish groundskeeper would fill those in with dirt because they should be bronzed. I think it's an, a, a remarkable achievement. This guy was digging digging holes, putting his little legs in there. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't look bad. It's kind of convincing. Um, I mean, if you really look for it and, and you're really focused on ruining the magic for yourself, yeah, you can tell that it's holes in the ground. But if you suspend disbelief, even just one iota, I think it's kind of convincing. And I think it's kind of funny. So I enjoyed Dwarf on Golf. Um, despite all odds, you know, I actually came into this thinking that it would be kind of a groaner. And I just wanted to see it to, you know, just say that I've seen this. 
But I, I'm not ashamed to admit I had fun with this, you know, and, and I think if, you know, if you are open to enjoying, uh, you know, this dumb sight gag of Tim Conway standing in a hole on a fairway somewhere, you might also have fun. Is it maybe slightly problematic or what? I guess maybe we're, we're goofing on short people, but Randy Newman did it and everybody loves that guy. He's doing Disney, you know, theatrical scores or whatever the fuck he's doing. So I think Tim Conway can get away with it. Let's not speak ill of the dead and saying anything bad about this dwarf on golf short <laughs> that I think is incredible. Um, well, it may be not incredible, but it's incredible that I enjoyed this at all considering how stupid it, it is. But I don't know. They, they, they go for it. It's, it's crammed with jokes. Are they all kind of the same joke? Mostly. <laughs> but, um, you know, certain things like, you know, the sight of Vince Chevelli, who was a very tall man, bending down to pick up, you know, golf clubs out of the, the golf bag of this very short Tim Conway. These are the Tati-esque pleasures of comedy that I crave. And I didn't expect to find them here. So um, I hope you guys were charmed by this. I, I hope you guys like the part where Dorf's doing his little jumping jacks on the putting green. Um, I'm not going to claim that this is like a comedy masterpiece or anything, but but I will say like the 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 gap between my expectation and what it delivered is so vast that I am still like kind of floored that because I, I thought I would hate this. And I'm like, you know what? It was funny. I, I laughed multiple times. It's fairly low ambition. I'm sure that they cranked this out in a single afternoon. You know, they, they did not put very much money into this, but they put jokes in. And and I like that Chevelli so much. Maybe that's also a factor. But what did you guys think about Dorf on golf? Well, I think it's amazing that it was not even three weeks ago that you wanted to implement some sort of mechanism to prevent troll picks on junk food dinner this is not a short film this is a literal definition of a short film <laughs> i mean it's a troll though i mean come on dwarf like this is what do you come on like you're trying to trick us you're trying to pull something over on us with this dwarf what do you mean do you not think that these were like legitimately like a big part of our video store youths like don't you remember seeing these on all the shelves i was always curious what's what's this dwarf guy got to say about golf I don't remember them being on video store walls. I remember them like when your like weird uncle would like buy a subscription to Sports Illustrated, they would just send him these tapes that no one else wanted. <laughs> like that's how everybody ended up like knowing about Dorf is because anytime you signed up for something, like you just got a bunch of the tapes in the mail. Well, Bowman, if we can't be the podcast for weird uncles around this country, who will be? Well, that is a good point. Um, that's a very good point, but yeah, I, I never saw any dwarf. I don't think, um, I feel like I have a lot of weird uncles and grandpas who probably were sent a lot of dwarf tapes. So it's possible that I've watched him at some point. Um, and I think on paper dwarf is something that I would really like, uh, because it makes, <laughs> it makes fun of marginalized people and then. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something I'm into. But also, um, there's this character I really like this comedian does called the Deaf Frat Guy. And his whole thing is that he's like a super frat bro. Um, and so like he has like that one element to him that wouldn't necessarily be super funny by itself. But also, he's deaf. So he speaks in deaf voice. Um, you know, like the greased up deaf guy from Family Guy. And so when you combine these two things that wouldn't necessarily be funny on their own, 
it becomes very funny. And so I was thinking that maybe that would happen with Dorf because he's short and that's not super funny by itself, but he's also like Swedish chef. So maybe combining these two things, you know, will will kind of work and they'll synergize. Uh, but they did not, I, in my estimation. Um, and they were both just kind of annoying features. Like, I am glad that you cleared up that he isn't just, you know, kneeling or, or standing on his knees and that he is buried in the ground because there's that one part where he's like kind of sticking like he it's like a sand trap thing or something and he's like sticking out of the side of of the ground and he ha- like Tim Conway must have an amazingly strong core because yeah. he's he's like just sticking out of the ground and like just holding himself up with just his core muscles his abdominals and i really appreciated that about dorf that tim conway has big muscles in his stomach I'm uh, guessing that there were like weeks of training that went into filming that scene. <laughs> I would imagine you're right. It looked like quite an undertaking. People talk um, about Keanu Reeves, like, you know, really learning jujitsu for the first Matrix movie or whatever. You, nobody talks about Tim Conway <laughs> and his core strength. He's got a lot of core strength. Unless, I mean, maybe they filmed it like on the side, like on, you know, they just tilted the camera over to the side and he was actually just standing up. I guess that's possible now that I think about it. But again, recently dead. <laughs> um, the laugh track that you mentioned is absurd and stupid. It it makes it even less funny that it might have been normally because like these people are just going fucking nuts. Like they turn the laugh track up to like 10. And it's not that funny that Dorf is just stretching like the stretches aren't funny. Like he's just a guy stretching. And then he even does like, like the laugh tracks going crazy and he's doing like the jumping jacks and touching his toes and stuff, which like just, I, I don't understand what's funny about that. But then he does sit-ups, but it's just a norm. Like th- there's especially nothing like, at least with like the jumping jacks is a little over the top because his feet don't come off the ground, you know? But like, the sit-ups were just like a normal man doing sit-ups. Like, there's... no, the, the sit-ups were funny. The, the way that he has to like contort his body to get up and down because he has to like you know sit down to do the sit-ups. Like that is really funny to me. I, I actually remember like laughing pretty hard at that part. But they're just normal sit-ups, the way that like any normal man would do a sit-up. Yeah, but, yeah, but he only does a couple of them. <laughs> Getting in and out of that position is hilarious, though, and he does that like you know right on cue. You mean sitting up? Yeah, well, I think this goes back to your core strength theorem from before, where, like, I don't know about you, but if I was buried, you know, up to my thighs in sand, I don't think I could that easily, like, contort myself to, like, you know, quote-unquote stand up in the way that he does. I was impressed. Well, he does have a lot of core strength. Every, everything in our reviews will come back to Tim Conway's core strength. Um. And, and uh, to pack all that core strength into 120 pounds, that's impressive. I agree. There's no uh, way that it's 120 pounds. That's what the Simpsons told me, right? Yeah. I think that's the number. I think so. Um, yeah, there's some other stuff in here, like the, the scene where he like, does the the stuff with the hot lady is cool. Like There's like a gag where like he turns around and his face is right in the lady's butt, but the lady has like super late 70s 
80s butt where it's like not good whatsoever not a chunky butt the kind that we have today thank fucking jesus that we have these nice chunky butts everywhere today you're saying this butt's too long for you (laughs) too long too flat of a butt tiny butt cheeks teeny tiny little butt cheeks in this movie um i would like a dwarf remake where it's just chunky butts everywhere um and then at one point dwarf takes a shower so we got to see (laughs) just a man in a shower (laughs) Pretending to be short for some reason. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I didn't. There's not one time in this that I laughed. Uh, I don't understand what the joke is necessarily. I don't know. It's just, I guess, just not for me. But it's for weird uncles, and if weird uncles like this, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I had a similar reaction to Parker, and <laughs> I, I had the, I would say the exact opposite reaction of Sean, because I went in, I mean, not with high expectations, I mean, it's Dwarf on fucking golf, I mean, come on, let's be real. what are you, your expectations really going to be, but like you, I had seen this thing my entire childhood in every video store I ever went into, and like you said, there's multiple like sequels and reiterations of it. So I figured there has to be something to this. Like it's, people, it's historically important, though, right? We can well, agree that's on what that. I mean. Like I was like, is this like funnier than? Because I was like, even as a kid, like seeing this in the video, so like I get the joke. The dude's on his knees with a pair of shoes, like or or dug into a hole or whatever it is. He's pretending to be short, and that's the joke. And I figured that was the only joke in it. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe there's more to this because maybe people liked it enough where, you know, there's something to this. And Tim Conway, I mean, you know, he's a Carol Burnett veteran. He's a TV kind of icon. Um, and like you said, it's got Vincent Chevelli in it. And you know, maybe I, maybe I, there's something I missed about this dwarf. Maybe there's something to this. But no, there is nothing to this. <laughs> Exactly what I thought is exactly the case. It's dumb jokes about a guy being short and having little legs and having a Hitler mustache and having a Swedish accent for some reason. I like Parker did not laugh once. I don't even know if I smiled once. And again, I did not go into this wanting to hate this. In fact, just the opposite. I was like, I'm open. Show me what you got, Dorf. Show me why the people love you. And I'm willing to accept it, but it just sucked. It was awful. It was not funny. It was not charming. You know, there's nothing. I don't, something about it just, frankly, was off-putting. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I I don't know why anybody would rent this, let alone like multiple times. Like. Because somebody was renting this fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, they kept people, making them. Were people that dumb back then, just in desperate need of entertainment? They're like, <laughs> look at this guy, Mama. You got you got shoes on his feet. He's a little short dude. Gonna play golf. I'm gonna rent this. <laughs> and again, what a what a fucking like uh, rip off too. If you spent like a full rental price on this half hour of horse shit. Man, I would have been pissed <laughs> if I would have actually paid to rent this. Like as a, as an adult in the eighties, whoo! But anyway, or 
if I were one of the dumb 360,000 motherfuckers who purchased this video at 29.95 the original retail cost oh. that is a dollar a minute <laughs> for this <laughs> shit i would have been pissed and tim conway i'm sorry i'm sorry you're dead but you owe some people some money dude like you built the american public this is a bernie madoff scheme uh if i've ever seen one but yeah no this sucks if you've ever Tim just... Conway, Tim Conway, more like Tim Con Man. I know Tim conned <laughs> his way through fucking ten dwarf films. <laughs> but yeah, if you're looking for golf humor, go rent Caddyshack and then uh, go to your uncle's house and light his copy of Dwarf on Golf on Fire because it does not <laughs> deserve to be in this world. Yeah, and I wow. can only imagine because this is the first one. I can only imagine that the quality goes down. As well, we're gonna find hate. out. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Another thing that made me mad while watching this is I was thinking, like, we could be watching Leslie Nielsen's Bad Golf My Way, I think is the name of his series. And those yeah. are fucking hilarious. Those are, like, legitimately funny. Uh, and not a, <laughs> not some sort of weird Ponzi scheme that a con man came up with. So Well, Bad Golf My Way, 1994, I guess, you know, it's kind of an imitator. And I was going for the original. So we'll have to go through all the dwarfs first, and then I guess then then we'll get to bad golf my way. Oh, um, no. I'm shocked. I, I mean, I didn't expect you guys to love this. Like I was saying, uh, it's not a comedy masterpiece or anything. Well, that's but for something being very that they, but for something <laughs> that you know, granted, paying thirty bucks for this on videotape, yeah, that's a dumb idea. But coming at it from you know our perspective now, a thirty minute investment on YouTube. For something like this, I feel like it, I I don't know I I had fun. It was so non-demanding. I didn't have to keep track of any kind of plot line or who characters were or what their relationships were to each other. I could just laugh at a short <laughs> guy doing jumping jacks, and um, maybe I was just in the, in the perfect mood for this. But I, I yeah I didn't expect to like it. Did like it somehow. I'm very I am honestly very curious to watch more of these. Whether or not I I subject you guys to them, I, I guess is to be determined but um you know i'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm surprised and and, and I, you know I, I hope some of it is just we're you know it's fun to play it up for the you know for broadcast to be like oh this sucks and i, I get it i think you guys might secretly <laughs> like more fun golf. I, i'm genuinely pissed you can't genuine after all <laughs> the things that have been picked on this show this can't be the thing that pisses you off. This this is harmless. I would say uh, there's more laughs in your average ghoul summer film than in this. Well, okay. Next week in the realm of the, of the senses. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but that does wrap it up for Dwarf on Golf. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about get smart, get street smart. Stick around.
Welcome back to Junk Fod Schlitzy. The final Schlitzy this evening is Get Street Smart, colon, A Kid's Guide to Stranger Dangers. This is from 1995, and according to Letterboxd, no director, writer, producer, distribution <laughs> company are listed. So perhaps this just showed up one day on people's doorsteps. Um, John, John McNamara. Is the yeah, director. who actually has some interesting credits. Um, we have already reviewed one of his movies. Is that right? Yeah. Th- by the way, this guy is a nonstop hustler, the Sean McNamara. He has made, uh, what is it, seven feature-length movies in the past two years. So he's had a busy pandemic. He's got 81 directing credits under his belt. And one of them is Three Ninjas, High Noon on Mega Mountain. Oh, okay. Uh, Letterboxd should, uh, should up their game. Yeah, I see now on IMDb he's got a lot of stuff going on over here. Unfortunately, they all look like complete garbage. Well, unless you count his time on The Secret World of Alex Mack and That's So Raven. I do Mm -hmm. count those, and I'm I'm not interested. He apparently directed some of the Baby Geniuses sequels that went straight to video. Those classic Baby Genius sequels. (laughs) Almost as good as the originals. Um, so yeah, he did the Casper sequel. All right, I guess he's done some stuff in his life. Um, this movie is a 40-minute long, 35-minute long uh, PSA wherein an alien foreign exchange student named Capricorn, although they call him Corny for short, and because the bitch is corny as fuck, <laughs> um, he he goes to elementary school with kids <laughs> They're learning about stranger danger in class and like the to the teachers trying to teach them how to not be kidnapped because there, <laughs> there's some a city where there's just kidnappers everywhere. Yeah. Literally everywhere. Like it is this must be the most dangerous city in America. Like it is wild how many kidnappings happen. Um as one as one of the kids the, says. That's why the original title was Get Street Smart or Die Trying. one of the kids points out in the class uh he says there are so many ways to kidnap kids and he's right he's absolutely right there's a lot of different methods um so they're talking about this uh corny says that he's not too concerned about stranger danger because he has a magic watch that can get him out of danger quickly so um so one day he's he's hanging out after class and some folks tried to kidnap him. So he pushes his little watch. And for whatever reason, the watch first sends him to a random place, like some random gag place. Like he ends up in a hot tub with a couple of with a couple. And it looks like some sort of swingers situation for a moment. Next um, thing you know, he's boning this chick. Exactly. And then and then he smash cuts and he wakes up in his bed. And it's the same day all over again. Much like the aforementioned Happy Death Day. Uh, every time Corny is kidnapped, he has to relive the day, uh, or well, narrowly avoids being kidnapped. And I, it's clearly like a Groundhog Day thing, right? Because it's you well, know, yeah. he's waking up to the same well, radio program. Yeah, yeah. Groundhog Day was probably like a year or two before this, I think. Two, three it's years. Fresh on the public's mind. Exactly. So that's what we have here. Um, and. Uh, each day, 
that he relives. Uh, different people try to kidnap him in different ways. And each time we, the kids watching, learn a little bit about how not to be kidnapped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's even a, a prompt that comes up uh, that says, you know, what would you do in this situation? Like if a if an old creep comes up to you and says, hey, can you help me with my groceries? Or, hey, uh, your mom's hurt. I need you to take uh, you to her. You know, what would you do in these situations? And and Corny always makes the wrong fucking decision because he's a fucking goober. And, um, and he gets taken a lot of the time. And um, sometimes, you know, like goofy shit happens when he presses his watch. Like one time he ends up in the girl's bathroom and that's very embarrassing for him. But then he wakes up in bed again. I'm not even sure why they do the thing where he has to go somewhere else first. Like, did, did they explain that? Did I just miss it? Well, yeah, at the beginning, you know, when he's talking about the powers of his watch, he says something like, I just haven't figured out where I'm going to end up. And, and I think it was just their shitty attempt at comedy, but. <laughs> okay. <It> well, sucks. <laughs> well, well, that's what happens. Um, and yeah, he gets like, it's such a dangerous fucking town. He gets kidnapped left and right. Um, pretty much everybody in town wants to kidnap him. But to be fair. He's a fucking alien, and if I saw an alien on the street, I would probably try to take it. Uh, yeah. so, and he's a, he's a fucking hot piece of ass, too. <laughs> you got that right. And his antennas... <laughs> Baba get, boom. His antennas pick up radio signals, so like that's convenient, so you would want to steal him for that reason. Um, there's like a really weird epilogue. Like Eventually, Corny learns how to not be kidnapped by a stranger, and that's very nice and stuff. And then like there's like a really long epilogue about how everybody in the galaxy... like is proud of him for figuring it out. Uh, and then it says to be continued. And I don't think that that ever happened, sadly. Um, but I don't know. I thought this was goofy. I like these kind of stupid PSA things that are fun to laugh at. Um, you know, the, the Gary Coleman one, Mr. T's be somebody or be somebody's fools. It, you know, those are some of my favorite movies of all time. I just love them. Some of the best pieces of cinema ever made. And so I'm always looking for that that kind of jolt. I don't think this reaches those heights, but uh, I mean, easily a dozen people try to kidnap this alien to attempt to to put him into the slave trade, the um, and and make him be a sex worker. And that's that's pretty funny, I think. So I think this is well worth <laughs> watching. It's on YouTube right now. Uh, what do you guys think about this movie? Yeah. So I had. I was familiar with this because I feel like clips from this pop up in a lot of video mixtapes that I've seen, mm -hmm. whether it be like those uh, found footage festival or everything is terrible or TV carnage, you know, things like that. I feel like really have utilized a lot of clips from this mainly because of just how horrific the corny makeup effects are. Like they're not bad. Like it's actually pretty good makeup effects, but he's just like this very creepy looking alien, uh, dressed in like weird like '90s hip hop like cross color fashion. He's got like fucking like overalls and like like a gold chain and so like he looks <laughs> like he stepped off like a fucking Arrested Development music video. I, I thought it was maybe a reference to Mork and Mindy. You know, like Mork would always wear those striped shirts, you know, with the overalls. Oh, yeah, the suspenders could, at least. Yeah, and he does say Nanu no no a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Uh but the, the, the makeup effect is just it's just weird. 
and creepy. Like it's just an odd looking profile of just the character. And you don't really get any explanation of like why he's on earth and blah, blah, blah. And like all the people interact with him, like it's no big deal that they're talking to this like creepy alien thing. But yeah, I mean, and obviously this plays out a lot like a, you know, classic stranger danger video that we all had to watch, you know, in school. This one, I think, was a little after our time, you know, coming out in 1995. We were probably a little old for the Stranger Danger videos at this point in time. Uh, This is more, you know, for kids that were younger in the 1990s. But, um, yeah, it's it's weird. And and it is funny in some respects. Like like you said, just to watch, like, how many people are out to – to kidnap this alien like i mean it, it, it almost feels like this videotape would give kids almost a, a like a an unhealthy sense of paranoia like that every adult is out to fucking get you yeah uh, well well not only would it give kids a, a sense of paranoia but it also if you're an adult it gives you a lot of really good ideas on how to kidnap kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, i mean if yeah. you're into that kind of thing sure um but yeah, and you know, like you said, Corny is a corny ass motherfucker. I mean, I don't, again, like Dorf on Golf, you know, go in with the right expectations. It's a goddamn PSA video for kids. You're not expecting comedy gold by any means. But uh, to say that Corny is a bit annoying is probably an understatement. Uh, just very grating. And this is the fucking whack ass character we have to spend the entire runtime of this video with. Did, did and, you guys happen to see who plays Corny? In, or at least does the voice of Corny? I'm not sure if he was actually in the suit or not. Oh, is it mm-hmm. Dave Goulier or some shit? It's none other than Richard Horvitz, who uh, would go on to play Zim in Invader Zim, among oh, wow. many other cartoon credits. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but what's not cool is this video. I mean, it, it's fun in small doses. If you, you know, pull a clip out to put in a video mixtape, that's probably about as best as you can hope for this. But, um, and, you know, like I said, kind of once you've looked at the weird fucking um, prosthetic effects and the the makeup effects on this corny character, uh, you've seen about all you need to see. So, yeah, in, in a small dose, this could be fine. But watching the full thing, even at its short runtime, uh, it it overstayed its welcome for me. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That, you know, probably the best way to experience this is how I also had already experienced this, which was in the form of, you know, short clips that are cut into other things. Um, like you said, we were too old for this when it came out. I, I guess I would have been about 13 when this hit the streets and... Um, you know, at that point in my life, you know, I, I guess I had moved on to other dangers that were um, a factor in my life. No longer was it stranger danger. You know, m- maybe they should have put out a videotape about the dangers of juggalo music or something like this. You know, save me a couple bucks on getting Fago shipped across state lines. You know what I mean? Um, but, I, you know, I, I can see why Bowman picked this. Like you mentioned, you know, it's pretty much a, a happy death day kind of a thing. Um or a Groundhog Day, which yeah, came out a couple of years before this. Um, but this thing is really derivative in many ways, not just that it's a, you know, a Groundhog Day. Um, I felt a lot of E.T. vibes watching this, just in terms of like this friendly alien dude who's hanging out with kids and being the best friend to children. 
which was a thing that I guess they really did push for a long time. I, I guess that box office success of E.T. really resonated forever because, you know, 13 years later or whatever, they're still kind of doing that. And I don't even remember as a kid, like, that I actually ever wanted to have an alien as a friend, but it certainly <laughs> seemed like that's what Hollywood thought I wanted. Um, they also do a Star Wars kind of a text crawl at the beginning here that's exactly, you know, the Star Wars font moving away from screen. Uh, and it's kind of neat that it says episode one at the top of it because uh, this is, you know, well before Phantom Menace. Probably they didn't, didn't even know that there would be an episode one. Um, so, you know, it's 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 got those references for film fans out there. If you're a real film <laughs> fanatic, you know, I'm sure this will be at the top of your list to see those um, those connections. You know, you can go to IMDb.com and put those in there uh, if you like. Um, Star Wars text crawl. Never been done before. Never been. It was very original. Well, I mean, Star Wars had done it, sure. But for somebody else to do it, Kevin Moss, that's where the genius comes in. Oh. To put it in a non-Star Wars context, it's kind of original. Never thought um, they also do the, the highly original thing that you would find in, you know, Groundhog Day or even the Grand Theft Auto games of creating a little bit of like a their own world with the radio station here. I think it's called K-Crud. And they've got these radio DJs, the Beach Bingo Boys, who you know make, keep making appearances on the radio. No, I think the Beach Bingo Boys are the the band that they're playing. Who, well, I thought that they actually called themselves the Beach Bingo Boys, but I, I could be wrong. But it's this dumb kind of morning zoo sort of a thing. You know, they're they're you know playing sound effects and laughing. I don't know. I, I kind of liked you know that that radio vibe that they were doing there. Um, but speaking of those scenes, you know, because that's in the, the repeated scene that you get where he's waking up in bed, you know, that's taken from Groundhog Day. Speaking of those scenes, I don't, maybe I'm alone in this because, you know, you, you two guys talked about this and you didn't mention it. And I, w- I would think it would be at the top of your, your mentioning list. But you didn't mention the fact that it looks like motherfucker Corny is jacking off under the covers. Am I the only one that noticed this? <laughs> I remember it kind of looking like that. Yeah, it's weird. Those those sheets are shimmying. And then the, the very next line of dialogue is about being ready to blast. No, no joke. It's, <laughs> it's what they say, which is very strange. Uh, I also also thought it was strange that this uh, corny guy is sleeping fully clothed under the covers. You know, he's wearing his sneakers, his overalls, that dumb rainbow striped shirt, the whole get up. Um, that's how he sleeps, I guess. That's how aliens sleep, I suppose. And, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of just weird stuff in this. Like, I I feel like this, this film kind of furthers the clown fear narrative, you know, where they're talking about the types of strangers that could... This film. Yeah, well, I mean, what what else would you call (laughs) it? I guess it's a, a movie, sure. Um, they're talking about the types of strangers that could put you in danger, and the very first one that they list is clowns. They're like, it could be a clown. It's like, nobody's suggesting that it couldn't be a clown. But do you have to, why does that have to be front of mind, you know, uh, in this? Uh, what else about this? The title song in this sounds kind of like What's Up by Four Non Blondes, which I thought that was interesting enough to write down as a note, I guess. Uh, you also see um, the Donut Prince donut shop in Burbank in the background of a scene. If you're ever in Burbank, I recommend Donut Prince. Great donuts. Uh, More casting notes. Brendan O'Brien, who plays Capricorn's dad in this, uh, would go on to provide the voice of 
Crash Bandicoot in that series of games and advertisements. So that's kind of fun. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, overall, this was it was what I expected. I, I, I don't think it was as, you know, as goofy or as, you know, outlandish as I kind of wanted it to be. You know, it doesn't reach the highs of things like um, whatever that that video is called, you know, the, the one where it's. Um, a British policeman telling you about satanic crimes that might happen in your neighborhood, that Satanists will be doing sacrifices in your public park or whatever. Uh, it doesn't reach that level. It doesn't reach the level of this understanding AIDS video that I have that was made for kids in the <laughs> 80s that features a talking duck. Um, but it's it's still pretty goofy and it's got that makeup. So if you've always been intrigued by, you know, that image of this weird um busted face alien guy hanging out with kids in a classroom and you didn't know what it was um this is out there it's on youtube you can watch it i'm, I'm glad that it's out there uh i would say just you know go in with pretty low expectations because it's, it's not not a great experience watching it but it's it's got just enough i think that it's it's worth a glance definitely worth a glance we can all agree on that uh and we can all agree that we would Definitely not kidnap Corny. We're not criminals here on this podcast. No. Uh, so <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be criminals and kidnap you. So stick around. If I was going to kidnap a kid, though, I would go right up to him and say this. What kind of dog you got, bro? <laughs> That's my main move when I do kidnappings. Well, we're broke. All of the stock we bought in Gutterball's VHS tapes... And Oogie Loves merchandise was a bust. Can you help us get back on our feet by donating a few bucks on Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash junkfooddinner. Sign up for just a buck. For the low price of 10 bucks, you can become a Dom DeLuise and pick the JFD movies. And for just $5, you can get access to our library of literally dozens of bonus episodes. For just $1, you can buy us a monthly can of beans we will share while wearing fingerless gloves. Please help your junk food dinner boys out so they don't have to start doing unscrupulous things under the Queensboro Bridge. I discovered him under the Queensboro Bridge, jerking off punks for $15 a man. wraps it up for junk fud schlitzy thanks everybody for listening to this schlitzy uh we will be back next week uh next week is patreon week we will be talking about delinquent girl boss colon tokyo drifters uh from 1970 picked by steve the man with two brains from 1983 picked by ricky o and oh lucky man from 1973 picked by justin uh, if you would like to get in on the hot action of being able to pick the movies, head on over to patreon.com slash junkfooddinner, where for just a very small donation, you can get on our Dom DeLuise list and start picking these movies. Uh, have you always wanted us to do your favorite movie? Now is the time. 
to convince us with money. Uh, for less money, you can also get the bonus episodes, of which there are very, very many. Just pop in there, pay a couple of dollars, get tons and tons of bonus content. Find out uh, what we're talking about behind closed doors. Um, and there's some other gifts and prizes in there, depending on how much you want to donate to your boys who've been at this now for 602 episodes every single week, trying to make you happy. Uh, go do that. Send us some voicemails. You know the number. You know you can go to facebook.com slash drunk for dinner and uh, hit the call now button. But in case you don't want to do it that way, you can call 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. We've got a Discord. Until next week, this is Parker for Kevin and Sean saying thanks for having fun. Bye.